Well, we should get to the word, right? We should get into the word. And I want to make a statement this morning that has been really a key statement for me, for our team, and something that I believe the Lord has spoken to me over the last year and a half, and that is this, that Sound Life Church exists to help people flourish through relationship with Jesus. The reason that this building is here, this property is here, the reason that there's a bunch of people faithfully worshiping and listening to the word at Ording this morning, the reason that there's a venue over here across the hall and traditions, the reason that we are putting this message out online, the reason that we do everything that we do, the reason we receive offerings, the reason we sing songs, preach messages, have discipleship groups, meet in growth groups, the reason for all of it is that Sound Life Church exists to partner with Jesus, the ministry and the mission that he has had since the day he stepped on this earth to help people flourish, and that only comes through knowing him. You might say, what's this whole flourishing idea about? But from the first pages of scripture, God had in mind for human beings to live these lives that he has given us to the fullest. There are longings in our soul that we spend all of our lives trying to fulfill through all of the different means that the world has to offer us. And sometimes we get those means, sometimes we, we chase after them and never get them. But what we often find is that our, our soul longings are unfulfilled. Because only through knowing the God who created us can we really live life the way it was meant to be lived. And so we want to, whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, we want to help you find greater flourishing in your life, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, wherever the Lord has planted you, we want you to flourish, and that will come through deeper relationship with Jesus. And, and this week, I want, or this week and over the next couple of months, I want to talk a little bit more about how do we do that. Because it's one thing to say, well, all you need is to know Jesus. But if, have you ever had any kind of deep relationship that was as simple as just sitting down across a coffee table? No, the more you know someone, the deeper and more complex that relationship becomes. The more it asks of you and the more it gives to you. And relationship with Jesus is the same. And we want to go deeper with Jesus. We want to experience more of what he has for us. And we want to give more of ourselves to him. And so we talked last week about one of the steps that we have to take if we're going to flourish in relationship with Jesus. And that's this. If, if we're going to flourish personally, we need to be part of a flourishing community. Part of knowing Jesus is loving other people, is existing in relationship with other people, is valuing other people, is being curious about people that are not like us and appreciating them for all of the curiosities that come with them. It's, it's enjoying and bringing the best out of people that we relate to and connect with, calling them closer to Jesus and helping them flourish. Part of our flourishing is in helping others flourish right? And so we have to be a part of a community of people that's bent towards flourishing. And we have a picture of that community in scripture. I'm going to read this passage multiple times over the next few weeks. You're, you might get tired of hearing it, but it's God's word, not mine, so blame it on him. And I want to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this beautiful picture of the church at its birth. And how many know, you know, we like to say that every baby is cute right when it's born. I'm not sure that's true. And we want to be a church that is honest and truthful. So we could say that not every baby is beautiful right off the bat, but every baby is beautiful 
on the inside, right? Are we, can we placate ourselves with that this morning? Here's the thing. I see Pastor Shannon and Tina shaking their heads because they have a grandbaby coming. That grandbaby's going to be beautiful no matter what I say, right? Um, but here's the thing. The church at its birth was beautiful. And I don't believe that it has ever ceased to be beautiful. Now, like all of us, as we go through life in this broken world and we, we take our lumps and sometimes we give a few lumps, we don't always look quite as beautiful as we were intended to be. The same is true of the church. There's times and moments in history. There's moments even probably in the history of Sound Life Church where we haven't been perfect. We haven't been as beautiful as we were intended it to be. Can we all just be okay with the fact that we as individuals aren't perfect? And can we be okay with the fact that we as a community aren't perfect? But that doesn't change the perfect intentions that God has, whether for an individual life or in birthing his family, the church. And this is a little bit of a reminder of who we are called to be, what we are meant to strive for. It says this, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's a short paragraph with a whole lot of miracles. That is the potential of people when they live in loving relationship with one another and most importantly, in loving relationship with God. And as we talked about last week, to be a part of a community like this calls us to reject isolation. It calls us to invest in the people around us. It calls us to share the love of this community with those that are outside of the community. But most importantly of all of those things, it calls us to live according to certain values. In fact, Scripture teaches over and over again that in order to flourish, a community must be built on eternal values. We read that whole, the story of the Old Testament is the story of a people that God chose for blessing, and he gave them parameters for how to walk in that blessing. He gave them eternal values with which to base their lives on, their communities are on, the way that they did their jobs, the way they handled their money, the way they navigated their relationships, marriages, families, etc., and as long as they built on those values that God had given them, flourishing supernaturally came to all those aspects of life. But what we found is that they were determined over and over again to wander from the things that were most valuable and most important and remove themselves from the space of flourishing and blessing that God had intended for them. Now, they never removed themselves from his love. The promise of God's love to Israel still stands to this day, still stands in Scripture today, and extends to the people of God through the message of Jesus, his church around the world. But we are still called to live according to the values and the principles that God put in place. Values and principles that are based on the character and nature of God himself. 
When you have a perfect, healthy father building a family that he's leading towards perfection and health, those na- the, that nature of the perfect father is meant to be replicated in that family if it's going to be perfect. And so we, we as Sound Life Church, are building this community really around three core values. And in some ways, they're the oldest values ever because they exist in the heart of God. It's the, the values of worship, the value of evangelism, the value of discipleship. These are things that are not new. And, and maybe if you're new to church, you're like, those are three really weird words which is why we kind of talk about them in a little bit of a fresh take around here. And we talk about our three core values at Sound Life Church as things that we are called to. We are called to be people who are devoted to Jesus, living a lifestyle of worship. We are called to be people growing in Jesus, engaging in the process of discipleship. And we are called to be people who are missional with Jesus because he has been on a mission since the beginning of the world. We're called to be these kinds of people that are devoted, growing, and missional, not just at church on a Sunday morning, but in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, in your grocery stores, wherever Jesus takes you. Can I tell you, these things are meant to be applied not just in your mind or in your heart or in 15 minutes that you've set aside each morning to give Jesus his time. They're meant to be applied in every walk of life. And these are the things that if we build around, it brings flourishing in our community, brings flourishing to us personally. And so I want to talk this morning and for the next two weeks about what does it mean to be devoted to Jesus? One of the reasons that, that we're using a word like devoted instead of just saying live a lifestyle of worship is because many of us have heard that many times and failed over and over to do it because we put it in a little category, don't we? We're like, as long as I listen to Christian radio every now and then and sing a few songs on Sunday morning, and, and that's my lifestyle of worship. But it's a whole lot more than that. I hope for you that it's a whole lot more than that. And I want to talk about this this value because this is the greatest longing of God for his people. Did you know that? It's the greatest longing of your creator for you is that you would be as devoted to him as he is to you. It's the longing of God. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of God that, that, called, that caused him to create the universe. It's the longing of God that caused him at great sacrifice and humiliation to himself to purchase us on the cross. It is the longing of God that has, called, that has caused him to pour out his spirit on a broken world. It is the longing of God that has Jesus returning to restore us out of brokenness and judgment on a difficult and wounded world. It's the longing of God for us that calls us to reciprocate that longing to him. It's our choice. We don't have to do it. But it is the longing of God. And we see what this looked like in the early church in those first couple of verses, really throughout, but these first couple of verses kind of picture it. All the believers devoted themselves They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. That was the word of God. And to fellowship, the community of the church, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. That was how they worshiped around the dinner table. And to prayer. And what happened? A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That's the picture of the early church being devoted to Jesus. Now, in some ways, it's very simple. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, the apostles' teaching is what we have now in the New Testament. 
the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit through his chosen apostles. It was based on the Old Testament, the word of God delivered through his prophets and teachers. It, it was the word of God as we have it today that they devoted themselves to. They said, this is how we need to think. This is how we need to live. This is what we are going to base our lives around. They devoted themselves to the church to living in fellowship with other believers who are also devoted and growing and on mission together. They devoted themselves to, to fellowshipping together around the table, but it mentions the Lord's Supper because we receive communion once a month in a church service. The habit of the early church was to take the ordinance of Jesus for communion so seriously that they would begin every meal with communion. They would begin every meal with a cup and some bread broken and say, before we eat, before we enjoy the blessings of, of what God has given us, we're going to remember, like Jesus said to remember, we are going to remember what it cost Jesus to continue to bless us. We're going to remember the sacrifice of our God to call us to himself and to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't a small thing, it was a big deal. It was worship before any great Christian worship songs were written. It's how they honored Jesus in everything that they did. And then lastly, to prayer. And as we finished in August a series on prayer, prayer, um, as Dr. Youngie Cho says, prayer is spiritual breathing, that the minute you stop praying, you die spiritually. <gasps> Sounds pretty serious. But prayer is our connection, it's our speaking, it's our listening, it's our responding, it's our awareness and acknowledgement of God's presence and constant connection to him. They devoted themselves to that. Now granted, most of these people we're talking about were not doing that days or weeks prior. This was all new for them. It was a total life change, total culture change, but this is what devotion looks like. They devoted themselves, and we as the church cannot overestimate the value of our devotion to God. We can't overestimate it. There, there is nothing more important in your life than your devotion to Jesus. There's nothing more important that you will give thought to, energy to, emotion to, than devoting yourself to Jesus. If you're going to make a mistake wasting too much time on something, you should waste time, energy, thought, emotion on making sure that you are devoted to Jesus as much as you possibly can. And what I want to talk about the next couple of weeks is what does that actually look like? How do we actually do that? How do we engage in that? But I want you to start by noticing how devotion is talked about elsewhere in Scripture. In 2 Chronicles 6, 14, it says this, Solomon prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant, your promises, and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion wholehearted devotion. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, wholeheartedly devoted to him, that God is searching every, every generation, every nation, every demographic of people, and he's not concerned about how smart, pretty, rich, poor, any of those things. He's like, what's their heart like? Are they fully committed to me? Would they actually give me all of their trust, all of their minds, all of their hearts? Would they be fully 
devoted to me. Searching billions of people year after year, generation after generation. Is there a heart that's fully devoted to me? Jeremiah 29, 13. We love Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the most commonly quoted scriptures, for I know the plans you have for me, right? Plans to, to give me a hope and a future, to prosper me, not to harm me. We, we love those ideas. It's, it's the flourishing of God. It's the promise of God to flourish his people. But do you know that was a call to the people of Israel to turn from their ways and turn towards the ways that brought flourishing in their lives? And the key idea comes two verses after that. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, God says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And it's through finding him that flourishing comes. If you look for me wholeheartedly, what would it be like for you to look for Jesus wholeheartedly? What does it look like for me to look to seek for God wholeheartedly? You know, God rewards devotion, it says. He says he searches for devotion. It says that he reveals himself to those who devote themselves to him. Jesus said it this way in Mark 12, 30. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You know what Jesus is saying? Love God with all you've got. Every part of you, figure out a way to show God that you love him. You know, when I talked to my son about playing on his football team, I said, hey, you enjoy football, but you find a way to honor God with how you play football. I talked to my daughters about their schoolwork. Hey, you work hard at schoolwork, but most importantly, show God honor in how you do schoolwork and how you thank him for your schoolwork. I try to remind myself, nothing I say as much as I'd like to think otherwise sometimes. Nothing I say really matters if it's not all said out of devotion and honor to God himself, yeah. right? So Jesus said, give it all. Give it all in love to God. And did you notice how, how it's described in all of those Old Testament and New, New Testament? It's described, devotion is described as a condition of the heart. It's a heart reality. It's a state of the heart. Devotion is something that happens in the soul of a person. The heart was seen as the, the, the soul of a person. It's where our desires and our choices come from, according to the biblical picture of the heart. It's where your desires and your choices come from. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, the wants and the will of a human being and how, how that plays into this devotion idea. But what I want you to notice is that being devoted is about passion, Passion for something that is worth being passionate about. Devotion is about committing yourself to something through thick and thin when things are good and when things are not so good. Devotion is about loyalty when everyone walks away. Are you still loyal? These things are heart things. Devotion is a heart tie. It's saying even when my mind doesn't understand, even when it doesn't feel good to my body, I am fully devoted to this thing because my heart loves this thing. My heart belongs to this thing. That is what devotion is. Heart ties develop when desires become commitments. When what you long for actually becomes a choice that you drill down on. It's the thing that you run to when things are difficult and the things that you run to when things are awesome. 
What is that thing in your life? What's that thing that when you're down and you're discouraged and you're depressed, you're like, this will pick me up? Or what's that thing when you, you get that promotion at work or, or that person says yes to that date or whatever else, whatever gets you on that moment of victory, how do you want to celebrate? Because if you're devoted to something, it often is the thing you run to at both ends. I think we all know what this, we all really know what that is. It's ice cream. <laughs> right? I mean, let's think about it. When you are down, you're having a rough day, Things didn't quite go your way. It's weird. I don't usually, my wife does most of the grocery shopping. I don't really usually know anything that's in the fridge or the freezer. I don't keep track of any of that. But it's like my brain knows how much ice cream is in the freezer. I know what kinds are in the freezer. When, it, when we're doing good, it's Tillamook or Umpqua, some good old Oregon ice cream. They know how to do it down there. Right? I know that there is waffle cone Tillamook ice cream in my freezer right now, having been sampled recently. Not this morning. You can't eat ice cream. In the, well, you can. It's not good. <laughs> when I'm having a rough day, even when I know that I probably shouldn't eat ice cream, that ice cream promises me that I'll feel better about my rough day if I just eat a little ice cream. Right? But then when I'm having a great day, when, you know, something good happened in our family and we want to celebrate, get out the ice cream. Ice cream all around. Not just two scoops today, kids. Three scoops, because it's time to celebrate, right? Because we have found something that pulls at a part of our soul that says, this will make me happy. And you might be like, ah, it's just ice cream. Except science has proved the addictive nature of sugar. And ice cream is just maybe the best way to convey sugar to our minds and bodies and souls. And it illustrates for us what devotion really looks like. Because we also know that feeling when we go to the freezer looking for ice cream and somebody else ate it. I know what you do. It's not just one of those like, oh well. No, there is a violent response that wells up inside of you. You think, who ate my ice cream? And I'll tell you what, there's rarely a quart of ice cream in our house that I bought. I don't know why I get to claim the ice cream, except that maybe I ate the most of it. But I get mad when my ice cream is gone, right? Or when I see Jeanette unpacking groceries and I, I know what shape that ice cream quart is in the bag. And it's not a question of if, it's a question of what kind. I know the, the delight that wells up inside of me. These, this is evidence of devotion, and in my case, maybe addiction. <laughs> the point is this, that what we devote ourselves to, we look to in the, in the down times and in the good times. What we devote ourselves to, we kind of give credit as if it can actually change the state of our, our being. It can actually change the emotional state or the, the, the way that our soul is experiencing life. We give devotion to those things. And I want to ask you, what is it that you are devoted to? What, is, what are the things that, that you are tied to? What, is the, what are the things that you look to, both in the down times and the good times? 
Another way to, to approach this is from that question of passion. What is it that you are passionate about, that you love more than any other thing, that you'd be willing to sacrifice for? Because really, at the heart of passion is something that you, it's not just something you like, it's something you're willing to sacrifice for. Right? What is it that you are passionate about? We were created to be passionate people. A passionate God created us to be passionate people. Now, passion looks different in different personalities doesn't always look the same, but you were created to live with passion for something. What is it that you have that capacity focused on? What is it that you're, you're focusing your passion on? And passion, by the way, always leads us somewhere. Some passions lead us to great places, right? A passion for a long-term friendship or marriage, to, to, to see that relationship through thick and thin, that can lead you somewhere wonderful. A passion for all sorts of other things can lead you to not such good places, right? We have to be careful what we set our passions on, but what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you are committed to beyond every other thing? And maybe the best way to tell is when you have to choose between different priorities, what do you choose? Right back to, back to ice cream, I know that I want to be healthy, I want to, I want, I want to eat healthy things, I want to feel good physically, I want to look good physically, all those things, we all want those things, those are all things that we're like, yeah, that, that'd be good, I want that. And I know that ice cream stands in direct opposition to all of those desires. So when it comes down to the moment of truth, it reveals what my heart actually believes and is committed to, right? Clearly ice cream. Now, I'm making light of this a little bit, but the same is true when you make decisions in your workplace. The same is true when you make decisions about your marriage and your family. The same is true when you make decisions, whether you're having a down day or a good day, when you make decisions about what you're going to watch on TV, about how you're going to give your spare time. The same is true about what you will post on social media. The same is true when you, the pressure is on you. How do you respond? Who do you turn to? What do you love? you already know what it is it's what you're passionate about it's what you're devoted to is it Jesus because there's only one thing that brings flourishing it's Jesus and the level of devotion that we give to a commitment determines the levels of success we experience we can say we're devoted to certain things. There's a lot of people that would say, oh, I'm devoted to my job or you know, I'm devoted to, to uh, being physically healthy. I'm devoted to this cause, the social cause. But there's a lot of levels of devotion, right? There's devotion that for some devotion to their job just means that they show up and they do the bare minimum. And why would anyone ask more? I'm devoted to this job. I show up every day and do my thing. But then there's devotion that stays long hours after work, that covers responsibilities that aren't assigned to them, that, that does what it takes behind the scenes to make sure that their job is successful, that their business, their boss, whatever, is successful. It's a different level of devotion. And don't tell me with those two employees that that boss doesn't notice which level of devotion is happening, right? 
And the level of devotion determines the level of success that you experience. The more all-in you go. You hear this all the time from professional athletes, right? They talk about how they literally put everything to the side. They don't get to eat what they want. They don't get to do what they want. Their time, their schedule, their sleep schedule, everything is dictated by this one thing that they are devoted to, being successful at their sport. It requires that level of devotion for them to experience any level of success, And that's why the Bible uses the term wholehearted to describe real devotion. Because we all know the difference between wholehearted and half-hearted, right? We all know the difference between something that was really, you put all of your thought and energy into it, or you didn't. You know, my wife knows when it comes time for an anniversary or a birthday or a, a date night or whatever, she knows if I was wholehearted in the planning or kind of half-hearted. She knows. Right? We know the difference between wholehearted and half-hearted. We know the difference between what is exciting and what is over the top and what is beyond what someone should have had to do and what is just kind of the bare minimum. Your scripture gives us a really good illustration of this, and I'm not going to read the whole stories today just for the sake of time, but it really is the comparison of Saul and David. We have Saul's heart for God described to us really in a picture, a pivotal picture in the story of King Saul in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 13. And I want to read to you just one passage in this story in 1 Samuel 13. And in 1 Samuel 13, a, a repeat situation has happened. You know, Saul was called by God through the prophet Samuel. He was anointed. He was, he was chosen by God, and God gave him incredible victory. In fact, God chose him to be a savior to the people of Israel. God chose him to rescue miraculously the people of Israel from their oppressors, the Philistines. Many of you know the story that, that early on in Saul's leadership, that God gave Saul a couple of miraculous victories over the Philistines. Those Philistines kept coming back. The world keeps being broken. And the Philistines came back at one point, a little while after Saul had gotten comfortable being the king. He'd gotten used to what it meant to be in charge and, and be a leader. And this, this, the Philistines come back, and this time they have a bigger army. And this time they're coming faster, and, and Saul's not sure he's prepared. And, and so Samuel sends him this message. Samuel, who has been the voice of God to Saul throughout his leadership, he says, I'm going to come in seven days, and God's going to tell you what to do. And so Saul's camped out there for seven days, and the whole time he sees, he hears reports, more troops are joining the Philistine army. He's seeing that every morning when they wake up, more of his own soldiers have defected away. He's seeing his odds get worse and worse and worse. And Saul's not dumb. He's playing the odds in his head. And he's trying to hang on. He's devoted to Jesus. He's he's seen what God can do. He's trying to wait for God. And so he's waiting day one, day two, day three. And he gets to day seven. And the minute the clock turns to day seven, he says, man, where is Samuel? Samuel is late. Somebody around here better seek God. Problem is, God had given very specific rules as to how the people were supposed to seek him. It was supposed to be a priest that gave the, the offering through which God would then speak, and Samuel was the priest. He was a prophet, but he was also a priest. But Saul, the wise king that he was, with the authority that he had, took it upon himself 
to rush the process. He gave the offering, and the moment that he had finished doing this offering and taking on this priestly role that had not been given to him, Samuel comes over the hill. Samuel sees what's happened. In fact, Samuel hears from God like pretty much in the moment. And this is what Samuel says to King Saul, really what God says to King Saul. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel 13, how foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Wow. What Saul didn't realize was that this whole situation with the Philistines, this whole situation of waiting, God was not concerned about it. God could defeat the Philistines a lot of different ways, and over the course of both Saul's and David's life, he demonstrated that. What the situation really was, was a test of devotion. Would Saul really put his trust in God, or was Saul putting his trust in himself? And Saul emphatically showed that when the rubber hit the road, he was going to trust himself, not God. And God says, your, your devotion is only according to your own convenience. It's not really devotion at all. Your devotion was half-hearted. It was halfway there. And the problem with half-hearted is it's really no heart at all. And the story actually plays out again not too long later. 1 Samuel 17, the famous story of David and Goliath. And I'm not going to read all of this story to you either, although you should do it. It's a great story. But in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistines once again have come back with a bigger army. They are more threatening. Saul is still in charge, but God's favor has left. And this time they have a giant named Goliath who comes out every day and mocks and laughs and criticizes and says, why don't you come over here and fight me? But they all know anybody that goes to fight him is going to get embarrassed, humiliated, and slaughtered. Right? We know the story. And then David comes on the scene, this shepherd, this shepherd that has never fought a battle in his life, but he's fought some bears and lions. God has been raising him up as a shepherd to defend his flock, and he sees what's happening. He shows up right about the time that Goliath is challenging the people, and he says, this is crazy. Why is nobody fighting this guy? And they're all like, do you see this guy? He's nine feet tall. And David's like, yeah, but, but he's insulting God. David's assumption is he can't win. There's no way he wins. He's insulting the armies of God. And so he goes straight to the king, to King Saul, to King Saul who should have been out there fighting Goliath in the power of God, but has been hiding in his tent. And he says this to the king. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, verse 32. I'll go fight him kind of cocky. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. Do you know what? God loves it when people say that kind of thing. God loves it. 
When somebody wants to do something out of their devotion to God and someone else says, there's no way that you can do that. You can't win. God's like, the only question is the level of devotion. Will they see the challenge through? Verse 34, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. King Saul's like, uh, this is slightly different. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Any hunters in the room getting ready for hunting season? Try club season. <laughs> I think that opens any time. The animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Here's the important point. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. David is super cocky, like way too cocky, way too arrogant. If I was David's friend, I'd be like, hey, dude, cool down. Like, have you seen the Philistine up close? Like, chill out a little bit. He has a giant spear. Like, you're not even going to get close to him before he skewers you. Be like, settle down. This is the king you're talking to. But David has this crazy, uncanny confidence. Why? Because he's seen what the Lord has done through him, through him to the lion and the bear. And his assumption is, why would God not do the same thing through me when this guy is talking garbage about God? That's his frame of reference. Now, he is still in a tent in the middle of a safe army with a safe king. And so I think it's important to read the face-to-face -face showdown as well. Goliath walks out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. That sounds frightening. If we didn't watch so much TV, this would give us nightmares. But David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in what? The name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You know, in that moment, I think Goliath maybe was like, what? Maybe I'm messing with something different here. David changed the game on him. He changed the rules of the game. It was no longer about who was smarter, who was stronger, who had the biggest army. All the things that human beings base their realities on, David just threw that out the window and he said, no, you're on the wrong side of God right now. You better look out. You better look out. Because David's heart was wholly belonging to Jesus, and nothing could stop that. No army could stop it, no warrior could stop it, no king could stop it, because God was literally walking right behind David, and he had a bigger stick than Goliath did. But Goliath couldn't see him. Wholehearted sees 
holy who God is, understands what God can do, sees all of eternity and all of existence as it is. Half-hearted sees half of it. In fact, half-hearted doesn't even see half of it. Half-hearted sees what's right in front of you, what people are telling you. Half-hearted sees what's on the news. Half-hearted sees what I can get. Half-hearted sees only what is in this globe. Whole-hearted sees God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who humbles himself to come down and walk side by side with us and say, this challenge is not too big for me. This challenge is no big deal. The wisdom of humanity, foolishness to God. The strength of humanity, weakness to God. Walk with me. Trust in me. Let your whole heart belong to me, and you have nothing to be afraid of. David was living in that reality. He lived in that reality. And so he says, today the Lord will conquer you. The Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. The Lord's about to conquer you. Footnote, that means I'm going to kill you and cut your head off. David had a different way than the prophets of being specific. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. This is not G-rated stuff, right? Like they can't make this movie and you show it in Sunday school. I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you know who David's talking to right now? He's not talking to Goliath. Goliath is about to be dead. He's talking to the army of Israel behind him. There is a God in Israel. He's going to kill the giant. Wholehearted, unquestioning, determined that no matter what happens, God's going to show up today. God's going to show himself faithful. God, he may not answer the way I want him to, but he's going to answer because that's who God is. He might not do everything the way I want, but he's going to do something that says this is the God who restores the world. Can I tell you, God's searching for hearts that are wholly devoted to him. Why? Because only they will see the flourishing that he has in mind for them. Only they will see the victory that he has in mind for them. And the problem with most of humanity is the same problem with the nation of Israel. In fact, the problem with most of the church today is the same problem with the armies of Israel. We are half-heartedly devoted to God. We are devoted to God for our own convenience, when it works out for me, when he says it the way I want it to, when I read the happy verses that don't challenge me when he answers my prayers the way I want them to, when he sets up my nation the way I want it to be set up, when he gives me the leader I want in government, when he heals all of the sicknesses I have, he owes me that if he's really God. Half-hearted. Cheap love. I would never want any man to propose to my daughter with that kind of half-hearted crap. But that's the kind of junk that we bring to Jesus day after day, week after week. We say, yeah, God, I'm trusting you. I read my Bible this morning. Make everything work out for me. And Jesus is saying, so who do I have that will fight a giant? Who do I have that will rescue my people? 
Who do I have that can point the way to flourishing? Where is there a heart that's fully devoted to me? Where is there a life that is fully submitted to me? Where is there someone that's going to believe when all else fails that I will show up? Because the Bible says it's only when we get there that God shows up. It's the only appropriate way to have relationship with God. Everything else is, is idolatry. Everything else is adultery. Everything else is falls short of any kind of relationship we would wish on anyone around us. He's looking for a whole heart. He's looking for all of you. He's looking for those whose hunger for him is greater than their hunger to have it their way. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we acknowledge your presence this morning. We acknowledge that you are the living God and that you are far bigger than our entire universe. We acknowledge that your wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. We acknowledge that your love makes our best efforts pale in comparison. We acknowledge that our concerns, though legitimate in your eyes, are not concerning in your eyes. And Father, I pray that you would put a vision in every heart today of what it looks like to be wholehearted followers of you in our places of work, in the career paths that we have chosen, in the families that we are raising, in the friendships that we maintain. What does it look like for us to demonstrate wholehearted devotion to you? Father, I pray that you would give us hearts like David's who don't demand a platform, but when it's given, we use it for your glory. Give us hearts like David that aren't looking for a fight, but we're sure not running from one either. Give us hearts like David that don't settle for the words of people around us, even the people we love. But we believe more strongly in the words of God. And Father, at Sound Life Church, I pray, I pray, Father, that you would change my heart, that you would change our hearts, that you would remove every obstacle to devotion. And I pray, Lord, that at Sound Life Church, you would find people who are wholeheartedly devoted to you. Let your eyes find what you're looking for here. In Jesus' name. Amen.